Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt podcast, bringing to you the best voices on the stories and issues that matter. Helping make it all possible is the generous partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Here's another piece I'll trust you enjoy. I'm joined by the architect, Carl Rowe. Good morning, Carl. Welcome back. Morning, sir. I want want to know, first of all, if you watched Phil Mickelson yesterday, uh, as I assume most Americans did. I caught a little of it. Wasn't that remarkable? Unbelievable. It really is. It's a it's a great uh, great to wake up on Monday and still be happy for someone. Now to the serious stuff. I have played some audio of uh, Senator Rubio and Senator Blunt saying they do not support a January 6th commission. Uh, fortuitously, you're on the schedule today. You were part of the decision to have a 9-11 commission. You advised President Bush at that time. I'd like to go back and ask you to compare then and now and whether you think the precedent of then either supports or detracts from or simply uh, different from now uh, when it comes to a 1-6 commission? Yeah. Well, look, we were um, a divided country in the immediate aftermath of the 2000 election. You may remember we had a little thing called Florida and 36 you days bet. and a Supreme Court decision. And, and there were people, you know, people were, were – uh, there were protesters in Washington on inaugural day, uh, you know, decrying the president's legitimacy and so forth. So we, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a warm and fuzzy time. But after 9-11, the country came together and there was a there was discussion about having a commission to examine uh, the events of 9-11 and to make recommendations for the future. And there, you know, there was some trepidation about, you know, how would that lead to uh, you know, sort of political recriminations, and would this be a, a way that would further divide the country? But the president decided that uh, he would support such an effort. And the, and the amazing thing was that the country basically put politics aside. It was a bipartisan commission, respected individuals from outside the uh, outside the elected uh, realm. Um, you know, they had served in public office. Some of them, Lee Hamilton. The, the Democratic co-chairman had been a, a prominent and respected member of the House. And uh, Tom Kane, uh, former governor of New Jersey, Republican. And um, But it was staffed in a nonpartisan way. It operated in a nonpartisan way. It was not about finding fault and get, gotchas. It was about what could we do as a country to deal with the potentiality of another 9-11. And as a result, while, while it was you know, sometimes painful for us to deal with, for the White House to deal with the commission. And the commission, you know, ran on its own energy and ran in its own independent way. It essentially was not a partisan exercise. And as a result, it, it made recommendations, um, uh, some, some, most of which were, were immediately acted upon, one of which, ironically enough, took the better part of a decade to, to about more than a decade to put in place. But you know, it served the country well. I'm not certain the same circumstances are there today for this, because this is essentially a far more political event involving uh, the outcome of, of, a, of a presidential election and the response of some people to it. But uh, I also didn't get a good warm and fuzzy feeling when the first iteration we see of, of a of a one six commission is a, a highly partisan construct put forward by the aggrieved Speaker of the House of Representatives. Now, uh, on the 9-11 Commission, a member was Fred Fielding, the once and future White House counsel, my former right. boss in the Reagan administration, and Ben Venisti, who was himself, you know, a hard 
a hard partisan. I don't think a man on the left, but a hard partisan, a Democrat from right. Watergate. So it's not about the makeup of the commission. It's really about the powers. You got smart people on the left and right who could do it. It's really about the powers and the intent of the of the convening legislation. So you don't think right. we can recapture that moment or that kind of uh, well, genuine. I, 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 yeah, I would hope we'd try, uh, but uh, you know that's why I think you know the idea, you know, things like the power of subpoena and the and who hires and so forth all becomes very important because the, the, the there was some sense during this during this nine eleven commission construction that you needed to be sensitive about these things because there was a recognition that the country had been narrowly divided in the aftermath of the two thousand election. And uh, as a result, there was a sensitivity to it. You're right, Ben. Think about the two people you just mentioned. Um, they uh, they both were partisans. Yet my sense was, to the greatest degree possible, people on that commission labored to put their partisanship aside. In fact, Fred and Ben Minister went out on the road together. They were, like, yep. paired up so that there would be uh, uh, an equal uh, – plus minus reaction, you know, negativity and positivity, so that whatever one thought of one, the other would displace that and they would end up being together. So that worked. Yeah. Yeah. And the same, the same, frankly, with the chairs, uh, Lee Hamilton and, uh, and uh, Kane, Tom Kane did a fantastic job of, of never being separated. And they focused on concrete things. For example, one of the, the last, the absolutely the last recommendation of the nine 11 commission involved a what, what might sound like a mundane issue, communications. On 9-11, communications among first responders in New York collapsed. And, and, and radios of one unit, uh, you know, of the, of the fire department wouldn't communicate with, you know, uh, with uh, radios of the, of the port authority or, or even radios of some elements of the fire department or police department wouldn't talk to other radios of, of, of it. And then they have the, the amount of spectrum set aside to um, – handle communications turned out to be completely insufficient. So it, it literally took – their recommendation was we need to create an adequate block of spectrum in order to assure that first communications, first responder communications everywhere in the country will never again be overwhelmed by an event like 9-11 because it turned out that, that this had happened not just on 9-11, but it happened with the Northridge earthquake in California. It happened with Katrina and so forth. So literally it took a decade. First, to identify the spectrum, where who held it in the government that would be good for this kind of first first responder communication. Then to go through a process of clearing it, that is to say, moving all other activities out of that, create a block, and then set up a program designed by Congress to, to provide a, that, that block of spectrum for first responders and to find a way to build that network so that it could be used by, by police and fire and uh, EMS and so forth. So. You know, they, this was the kind of thing that they were focused on. They weren't. They weren't focused on, you know, let's 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 point blame. Let's 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 engage in a highly partisan activity. I, I worry a little bit about about that in this situation, simply because of the way that it's begun. The first iteration from Nancy Pelosi was a joke. If you wanted to unite the country, let, let me let me play. This takes two minutes, but I want your reaction to it. Senator Rubio took to Facebook yesterday to have a clear shot at the legislation. And he said this, cut eight. So last night I had a chance to sit down and go through the supposed bipartisan commission for on January 6th that came out of the House. And it became apparent pretty quickly what this is all about. So let me first say this. 
There's no cover-up here. Everyone, or we already know what happened January 6th. It was a horrifying day. It's something that should never happen again. And we're going to learn even more about what happened that day. Why? Because the Justice Department, as they should, is trying to prosecute and put in jail hundreds of people responsible for what happened that day. And they should. If you committed violence on that day, if you were there to hang the vice president or to kill any member of Congress, the speaker, whoever, you should be put in jail. You should go to jail, and we're going to learn from those investigations how that happened and what led to that point. And then the Democrats control committees in the House. They control committees in the Senate. They can do investigations. Some of them already are. We're going to learn from that. Capitol Police has already done its own commission about what went wrong that day. We've already learned from that. So there's plenty of attention being paid to this, not to mention that the media doesn't stop talking about it. They're also looking at it. So everyone's looking at it. So there's no cover-up here. So, so what is this about? I'll tell you what this is about. First thing that stood out for me, okay, this is about politics. Here's how. They have this thing that says, well, in order to issue a subpoena, you need both the Republican and the Democratic side evenly divided to agree to it. But that's not the point for politics. You don't actually need the subpoena. All you need is a story out there saying, Congressman so-and-so, they want to subpoena him or her, uh, but they can't because the Republicans are blocking it. And then the stories are going to be, number one, it creates this impression that maybe Congressman so-and-so did something wrong. Why would they want to subpoena him? And number two, the story would be Republicans are covering up the investigation into Congressman so-and-so. Okay, so, so Carl, you, you get that. It goes on. You get what he's yeah. saying. It's interesting. He's a no, but he's also anticipating the media bias, which is a first ever for me, that media bias has become so pronounced that it's now polling uh, very transparently elected officials in one direction or another. Yeah. Well, Senator Ruby also makes the, the key point if, uh, and this is why this is for me a close call, but he makes a very strong point about why there is no need for a commission. And, you know, 9-11 was not about then indicting uh, U.S. citizens. It was about the bad guys from abroad. And what, what his point is, is that, look, we have a process where all of these people – are being systematically identified who breached the Capitol and, and, and are being charged with appropriate measures because we have a vast amount of not only eyewitness, but video that allows us to identify who these people are and what exactly they did. There's no question about, you know, the guy who took the, to, who took the police shield and, and, and broke a, uh, a, a security window in order to gain access to Capitol. We know about him. We see him. We know what he conducted. So... You know, we know about the guy who breaks into Pelosi's office and sits in her chair and puts his uh, feet up on her uh, on her on her desk and, and steals her mail. We know that because he boasted about it and put it up on uh, and put video up on the internet for all of us to see. So I get that argument, uh, and I, and, I, and and for me that that is the most persuasive argument against against this. But intention matters, and that's that for me. That's why even if that argument wasn't there, I would have concerns about this. I want this process to go on a little bit longer in order to see if we can arrive at what would be the, the groundwork for something that would be as much as possible divorced from politics and the animus that, that, that as you rightly say, the media and obviously Nancy Pelosi and others have towards the former president. But uh, I thought I thought that I listened to the senator's, thing, no, the senator's comments yesterday, and I, I think it's absolutely correct. So last question, Carl Rowe, if uh, if the leader McConnell called you up uh, and he's afraid of blowback uh, by not agreeing to this, what would you advise him to do to at least minimize that blowback in the eyes of most Americans? Well, look, 
I, I, I'm not going to. My advice to him is, it would be that keep talking about this so that people around the country understand you've made a good faith effort to arrive at something that 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 it might have common sense that it works and let and and, and let members of the your conference like Senator Rubio who have concerns about it speak out in a thoughtful pa- fashion. This is about wherever this ends up. It's got the American people have to have a sense that both sides tried to arrive at something and for good reason could not come to an agreement. They don't. We don't want to be put in a place where you, you, you mentioned it earlier. Let's say that that tomorrow everybody on the Republican side says, no way, we're not going forward. You're right. We would be blamed incredibly about it. But this whole process has helped to serve to raise issues about what are the Democrats attempting to do here? Something good for the country or something good for their midterm elections? Well put. Carl Rove, as always, thank you. Good to have you back. Come back again soon. Follow him on Twitter at Carl Rove. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review. Our program is coming today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership program offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you're enjoying the podcast, please tell a friend to go to Town Hall Review and sign up as well today. This is Jerry Boyer. Take a few minutes and join me for the first episode of my new podcast, Meeting of Minds with Jerry Boyer, where I interviewed the brilliant tech entrepreneur and thinker, Peter Thiel. The idea of a victim, the idea that victims exist, it, it comes from Judeo-Christianity and nowhere else. You know, if you, if you sort of imagine Christ in the time of Pontius Pilate, if he had told Pilate, you know, I am a victim. This would have made no sense whatsoever. Pilate would have said, no, are you a Roman citizen or not? Here's Teal on victimhood. The idea that you were a victim made no sense at all. And it's um, maybe deformed, maybe gone crazy in modernity where we talk about victims and nothing else. To hear Teal on atheism, the Bible, Jesus, the cross and resurrection, political correctness and violence, and a whole lot more, go to meetingofmindspodcast.com. Listen, subscribe, and share. That's meetingofmindspodcast.com.